0: I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences. So glad to have you again this week. I want to mention that I received such a loving letter from uh, one of our listeners who said that this show mer- mattered to her and that she felt that we were friends. And I, I was so touched. And we are friends. I, I pray for all of you, all of my listeners. And I do feel that, that we are friends um, and that we are embarked on this great project together to, to make the world a better place for everyone around us and everywhere that our voice reaches and... And that our influence can be felt. So thank you all of you for for joining us. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, my TCA colleague Ashley McGuire will be joining me. We are celebrating National Women's Month and National Women International Women's Day, and we'll be talking about that and also about Chris Rock, who shocked the world. Who listens to comedians <laughs> like like Chris Rock, which is who's a little vulgar for me talking uh, who said that having an abortion is like uh, hiring a hitman so he was echoing Pope Francis there but before that we are going to talk to Erin Berghaus she's the producer and director of a movie called Santiago the Camino Within welcome to the show Erin Thank you, Gracie. What an honor to be on with you today. No, the honor is all ours. Uh, you are the producer and director of a new movie called Santiago The Camino Within. And what a wonderful topic the San- The Camino de Santiago, as I know it in Spanish, um, is is a is, is an ancient pilgrimage route um, to the to the burial place of Saint James the Apostle in Santiago de Compostela in Spain. And it is, a, it is a, a pilgrimage that for many hundreds of years has been drawing pilgrims from all over the world, over 200,000 per year at this point, I believe. Um, and it has tremendous staying power. So there must be tremendous spiritual advantages uh, to be gained by making this walk. So what led you to want to make this movie about the Camino de Santiago?
1: This was 100%... Pure hijacking of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: the best. That's the best way to do
1: anything, right? Aaron? <laughs> there was. Uh, I didn't see it coming. Um, I actually had been working on a project of. It was about seventy-two short films, thirty-six in English, thirty-six in Spanish, on the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I really had been having some serious conversations with the Lord on if this was going to be his last film project that he wanted me to work on, <laughs> so joke's on me. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was an email that came, and it was about the pilgrimage with Bishop Donald Hine, and it was it was at that exact moment. It was so on fire that, well, I just knew, um, and there was never looking backwards, and it, everything was put into place. It was, you know, it was really a providential plan. And I am forever grateful to God for the blessing of being able to serve him in that way. It has been so edifying for my own soul. And, uh, I really wasn't familiar with the Camino. Uh, once I was hijacked, <laughs> um, I went out to try and find, you know, every book that I could on the Camino and what was really what was the Camino about and tried to look for any sort of uh, Catholic book and also was there a film that I could watch anything at all because then I started to go on the I always think it's important to take a a little time of discernment you know if you feel called real strongly Mm -hmm. to make sure that that calling is coming from God and so I did that And uh, it was just remarkable how clear the Lord can be, you know, that there's like no question when He makes it so clear that it's from Him. So, it was one of the greatest gifts of my life to be able to serve God and working on this film uh, with Bishop Donald Hine. So,
0: the premise of the the movie, and I've only seen the trailer because the movie uh, airs on March 28th, I believe is the correct date?
1: that's correct yes so we're so excited to have a catholic film on santiago saint james and american theaters oh, we're just so grateful and so anybody that did- can come and help support us by attending the film. We really, to join hearts and arms with us in this mission of serving God, we would be so thankful. But we're extremely excited that Fathom Events is bringing it to the theaters in America for that one day only. Now, if by chance there there happens to be a good turnout, then they'll increase the days. And so the evangelization grows. But we're so grateful for any support
0: well before we before we hang up with you, you'll have to tell us, please, how uh, people can support the movie and come out and get their parishes to come out because I know that that's um that's always a way that we can that we can support Catholic movie making is by getting organized and making sure that people know about it and and getting groups together to go. And it's a wonderful uh, thing to to have Catholic movies. Some of the best movies I've seen are have been just this way where I I know it's a Catholic movie. it's 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 inspired by the the most wonderful apostolic and evangelical wishes uh, of of the filmmakers and the writers and inspired by the by the Holy Spirit. And then I I go, you go see these movies and they're also beautifully made (laughs) cinematographically. Um, elevated and professional, and it's and it's so wonderful because so much of our culture is uh, of our movie-going culture is pervaded by ideas that don't belong in in our heads, right, or, and in our hearts, and they slowly affect our minds and the way we think. So, how wonderful to have noble projects like yours available to all of us and Catholics I, and non-Catholics I, alike, right? Like the Camino, the oh, Camino, the Camino is open that's to all
1: right. pilgrims, so right? That's also- exactly right, exactly right. You know, I think in our human minds sometimes we can think that there are certain boundaries but i believe in god for god there are no boundaries he has created every single person on the planet and so there are no boundaries and to be able to go out into our current culture and really really shed um the art And the beauty of god's creation and one of one of his apostles you know in a language that our current culture speaks you know art and entertainment and so it's a language that is familiar and one that um that i do think that the general population um you know they partake in that and so it's a great blessing to be able to meet them where they're at. And that's one of the, the great gifts that Bishop Donald Hine has been given is that he has this this really divine ability to meet the viewer where they're at, no matter where they are in their life. Whether they, they know God or they have not yet learned about God or the Catholic Church, um, wherever they are, he has this just absolutely radiant gift of being able to meet them where they're at and and guide them along the journey. Um, and the journey of St. James was just unbelievable. I mean, it's very, I think it's. it didn't take too long to be on the ground in Spain before you realize that there was so much beauty, it would be impossible to try and convey it in, in written word and word alone. And I really believe as a songwriter, it would be really almost so impossible to convey it in a song, just a song. It's really the only hope of trying to convey the immense beauty of Saint James and his journey of evangelizing in Spain, and the beauty of of the, the history of the of the entire um culture of Spain, just radiant, was by marrying together all of the art forms the highest form of cinematography and then original music and the spoken words from the heart of a priest um i really that was our that was our that was really we had to put them all together in hopes of being able to convey the beauty of that journey um on a screen and take someone to the camino who actually couldn't physically go there pope benedict the
0: 16th said about the camino It is a way sown with so many demonstrations of fervor, repentance, hospitality, art, and culture, which speak to us eloquently of the spiritual roots of the old continent. Does that resonate
1: with you, Erin? Amen. Amen. I mean, I just, when I was there, all I could think was I couldn't wait to to come back and and I dream of bringing my family, you know, all of the children and the grandchildren. Um, Amen. I have learned so much from Saint James, and and I have a deep devotion to Our Lady. And um, there's so many stories, Gracie, that I could tell you um, that God's really led me on the journey that that got me to the journey. <laughs> um, but Our Lady was was definitely in there. The film begins in Zaragoza where she appeared to St. James. And when she appeared to him, her message was one of encouragement to keep on keeping on. And how important that is, you know, for all of us in our daily lives. And then in the end, we actually ended in Muchia, um, another uh, magnificent site where Our Lady appeared. And there's just so many places where she weaved and took our hands and led us on this journey. So I am forever grateful to God that uh, in the service of my life to Him that He allowed me to partake in this. It's just been a complete uh, blessing and edifying for my own soul.
0: Let me ask you, Aaron, who you who have drunk so deeply of the Camino, why go on pilgrimage? What's the purpose yeah. of a pilgrimage? What does God want from us? Why does, why? does
1: I believe that God wants us to go on pilgrimage. I believe He wants that. But why does He want us? well i think that the, the one of the most amazing things is we live in a world that's so full of noise and all of our lives right and so from from every different direction we have noise i think that the amazing thing about um, the pilgrimage and, and specifically the, com- the Camino was that, you know, it's, it's physically challenging to do the Camino. It's, it's not, uh, take, take a bus and get there immediately. You know, it's a journey, it's a step by step. And so it, when you have to have a physical exertion, and I do think there's a certain holiness that comes in walking the footsteps themselves. Um, but when you have this physical exertion and then, there's a silence. There's there's nature, there's the holiness of, of the footsteps of St. James, there's the beauty of of the nature of the creation that you're walking in, and there's the destination to a holy site. All of these things help propel you physically and then spiritually to kind of like the whole Duke and Eltum, you know, cast out into mm-hmm. the deep. It's like a it's a deep spiral into the depths of your soul that you can't get to when you're surrounded by noise. Mm-hmm. You you know, I mean, if we could only give God enough of our ear like we give to anything during our day, but to step away, right? To just step away from it all and to focus on the contemplative prayer, to work as much internally as we do externally in our service and our surrender for Him and for saving our souls and saving the souls of everyone in our family and those that we meet. Um, and these pilgrimages, they they help to fill our oil lamp. They help to they help to they help to have us hear God. Be with God and be recharged by God so that we can go out and shine in this world that can be so challenging. Um, But God is so magnificently beautiful and he sends us the saints to help us. And when we can go on a journey that is is the journey of St. James, you just cannot, it's not possible to go and return without being changed. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with
0: Consequences on EWTN Radio. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and we're chatting with Erin Burkhouse all about a new film, Santiago, The Camino Within, coming to theaters March 28th. Erin, let me read you a quote from Bishop Hying, who leads the pilgrimage that's taking place in the movie and also narrates it. He says, The film is deeply contemplative. It projects in color and sound the inner dynamic of transformation which occurs in the soul of every person who undertakes this epic journey of the heart, even those who do not walk the Camino for ostensibly religious reasons. I wanted to bring this up because I know several people who walk the Camino who don't have a relationship with God that they know about. Of course, God has a relationship with all of us. What do you think that the role, what, what is the role of the, the Camino play in, in non-religious people's lives?
1: Right. Oh, such amazing questions, Gracie. I think that when Bishop Don refers to the film, I think that in the production itself, I think the, the hope is to pull you into the journey so that you feel as if you're on the Camino. Mm-hmm. So that you're not an observer of a film and that you're just sitting in the audience, but that you're, you're actually pulled into the film which might sound a little deep, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that, that really is the hope and so that we're by the grace of god able to open the door for you to experience the journey and yes every there there are people who go on the camino for all different reasons but like you say that uh, god is greater than all of us right and and it isn't necessarily it isn't necessarily for those of us that pursue pursue god but that god is always pursuing mm-hmm. each one of us <laughs> Right, and so he's so much bigger and more powerful and more beautiful than we can ever imagine in our mind, and and that's just not for a select few, that's for every single person on the planet and so keeping that in mind that God is continually pursuing and wants to bring mercy and love and beauty into the lives and the souls of every single person then how is it that we can go on a journey on a pilgrimage for whatever reason that we're called and not have an effect by his beauty Mm -hmm. and i just believe it's not possible and so now how a pilgrim might interpret that is going to be very reflective within them themselves but they'll they'll know that there's a difference right and they'll believe and see that there's there's something so much bigger than themselves so much bigger and more beautiful than themselves. And traditionally, in, in the many
0: hundreds of years of pilgrimage history of the, San, of the Camino de Santiago, the pilgrims very often in the past would walk for many months, sometimes years, to arrive at Santiago yes. de Compostela. And they were on the way. They, they they very often lost all their belongings and became ill and were basically traveling from hospital to hospital along the route. There's There, there were traditionally hospitals along the route to help the pilgrims and inns to get the pilgrims through. It was an extremely punishing um, pilgrimage for for many hundreds of years, you know, you you, you put yourself at the mercy of robbers um, and and other criminals. So pilgrimage had this huge uh, difficulty attached to it. Why does pilgrimage have a difficulty attached to it that is not so great now,
1: but still exists? I would say, and you know, I'm just a, a little tiny person. And so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I have, you know, the great answer to that. But if the question is, why, why do we why do we consider a pilgrimage difficult now? I think that really our restraints aren't necessarily or I should say our threats, our threats aren't necessarily robbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very safe journey. I think that really the real bondage becomes time. Mm-hmm. Time and in a certain sense we can we can partake in creating these bondages that that these chains that stop us from pilgrimages right we can say oh we can't do this we can't do that we can't get away i have to do this and then little by little those things grow and they become the most important things and it becomes more difficult to break away but and then also there's the and i can only speak personally i mean you might think well how could i as a mother of six and nana to seven how do i step away and go on a pilgrimage right? But the truth is that how do I be a good nana? How do I be the best mama? How do I be the best person for Christ if my oil lamp isn't full? (laughs) How do I shine if my little light is so dim? And where can I fill it? I'm telling you, Gracie, walking the walk with St. James and Our Lady is so edifying. It's beyond words, if there's any possibility to experience it and make it happen, I would encourage a person to do that.
0: No, I mean, let's face it, many people don't have the means to get to Spain or France and re- walk the country to right. Santiago, even if they have the time or are willing to give up the time and that's and, right and your film is a way for them to to walk that walk at least in their imagination and, and hearing it and, and feel and you know seeing the beautiful spectacle and and also listening to the words of pilgrims cuz i'm sure that you have beautiful interviews of some of the pilgrims that accompany
1: the bishop on this walk yes and the you know the lord provided all of that it was he he really did he god was the designer of all the pilgrims and the specifics. And it was a great blessing to meet them. I do want to touch on just briefly about your point on if you see the film and you're not able to physically or financially um, experience the Camino after seeing the film, I want you to know that on a very deep level, that was one of the intentions. Mm. There were two men in my life that, that really kept on asking on if the film was finished. And uh, one was my father and Unfortunately, and I don't want to cry. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't finished before, you know, he passed. He passed uh, just shortly before the film was finished. And one of the last, I think it was the last text, and he was 84. And it was the last text that he sent to me, and he was going in for procedure. And he said that, oh, I'm so hoping that I'll be able to carry a backpack and go on a journey. And and so it was really his age and his health that would have prohibited him from going. Um, and so it was his spirit that really fueled me in the end, along with my pastor, passed away about a month after that. He was a huge proponent of the Camino. Both of those, both of those men were just really so instrumental in I think in the last portion of the production of the film and getting it all together, and so my heart goes to the people, whether through you know physical um, special needs or financial constraints. That we want to take you to the Camino. We want to be allowed to bring you um, to the Camino, so that you can experience the beauty of St. James through the film.
0: Well, Erin, you made me cry because my father just died, <laughs> and he. Oh, I'm sorry. And he was paralyzed with ALS for the last couple of years of his life, and and um, and so all his pilgrimages after after his paralysis were done in his in his heart. And yes. But uh, you know, and 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 I'm really glad you bring this up because the pilgr- every pilgrimage is a recapitulation, a reiteration of our life pilgrimage, right? Our journey that yeah. that starts before birth, when God when God thinks us into existence, and then and then is hoping God is just hoping for us to come back to Him to travel that path back, that pilgrimage path, and and come home to Him. How wonderful that your film reiterates that beautiful dance no between God and his
1: created creature who he calls home. Amen, Gracie. And you know, one of the symbols along the Camino is the shell. And what it, it what it reminds me of and what we talk about, not that I know that the history of the shell is interpreted this way, but what it reminds I can speak for myself, is that in a shell there are all the all the rivets, you know, that lead to the end, to mm-hmm. the one end. Mm-hmm which in our hearts is is heaven, which is God. And time is time is a blink of the eye, right? And this life, this way, this journey, this camino of our soul, it we all have different paths and yet we are here to help each other, to get to heaven, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get to the greatest treasure of all. And we pray that our fathers, then Gracie, we pray that our fathers are in heaven and that we, that we will join them one day, right? And um, St. James, you know, I, I didn't know St. James. I really didn't know him at all and um, when I first prayed and began it's been a few years now to St. James I wanted to get to know his heart because if God is calling me to make a film how could I make a film when I don't feel that I I know someone and so many contemplative deep prayers to try and get to know the heart of St. James and I feel within my own heart I feel Well, I love him. I love him. I feel he's one of my best friends. And I feel that the saints are just waiting for us to reach out to them. They just want to be asked to, you know, help us in our journey. And so, of course, I have to say today, on this day, I think one of the one of the PR um, individuals for that works for us for marketing and for the film said that it's National Women's Day today, and so I want to give a shout out for Blessed Mary. <laughs> <laughs> nice on National like <laughs> National Women's Day because at the end of our days, really, the greatest prayer is for for us to receive the grace to be the tiniest reflection of Our Lady and um so the greatest the mother of god uh, how blessed we are to be women just really really ask for the grace to be the slight just the tiniest reflection of her beauty and to give everything that we are and that we have to god and she so loved st james and she so encouraged him so It's just such a great blessing to be on the show with you today, Gracie. Well,
0: Erin, I can't imagine anyone who has listened to this interview who will not be making every effort to go to the film and bring all their friends and family. So tell us how that they can do that.
1: Well, thank you so much because that will be helpful to us. I mean, we would be so grateful because it is a huge gift from God to get the film in the theater. And now we must fill the theaters so that we can create more Catholic films so that the film distributors will pick up Catholic and Christian films. To have in the theaters. Um, and so, yes, you can go to Ahava. It's A H A V A, ahavaproductions.com. That's our website. You'll see right when you land there, you'll see a little Trailer, and you'll see that you can go to Santiago. There's, you know, press kits and there's um, information there that if you want to print posters, uh, the tickets are sold through Fathom Events, and you'll see that on there as well. Fandango will start selling tickets. There's different platforms that sell tickets. There are about, I think, there's 869 theaters across the United States that will be holding the film on the one day only on March 28th. It, we really feel also it's a great gift during Lent to be able to offer this to people during Lent. So your support means everything to us. You can help us by by coming and by praying and by bringing a friend, we would be so grateful because we are all in this together. Well, one thing one thing I've done in,
0: in other occasions like this with Catholic movies, and maybe our listeners would like to try, is go to your parish priest and the administration of your parish and arrange a movie night and, you know, sell tickets after Mass and... And bring a whole, you know, whole carloads of, of friends to watch these Catholic movies. I do, I do believe very strongly that um, we have to be part of the general culture of the wider culture, and what better way to do it than with movies made by people like you on subjects like this? So thank you very much, Erin, for joining us today on Conversations with Consequences.
1: Thank you, Grace. It was such a blessing to meet you today.
0: Back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and joining me now for the rest of the show is my colleague and friend Ashley McGuire. Hi Ashley. Hey Gracie. Thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure. Today we have a couple things to talk about. We want to talk about the fact that when we are recording this, it's International Women's Day, and we want to spend a few moments on that, on the significance of International Women's Day and some of the craziness that's gotten attached to it. And Before that, I wanted to ask you about a piece you're working on that uh, has to do with Chris Rock, who's a comedian. And I have to tell you right from the top, I don't know anything about Chris Rock. I believe another comedian hit him in the face recently, and that was a big deal. I can't even go further than that. But... Chris Rock made some interesting comments about abortion that have that blew people away, apparently. So tell us about it and why it's significant.
2: Well, it's funny. I don't watch Chris Rock either. I'm not into most comedy. Uh, I feel like it's always so vulgar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm certainly not, you know, commending his Netflix special to our listeners. But I do actually think and you can find this, you know, on Twitter, there's clips of it in, you know, different news articles because it was actually very startling, where he does maybe like a three-minute segment on abortion and he starts out, you know, to all these cheers and claps because he's like, I'm totally pro-choice. He's like, I have two daughters, and I want them to have complete control of their bodies. And then he just does this hard pivot because everyone's cheering and clapping. And he's like, that's right. He's like, I think women should be able to kill babies. Oh, and you, wow. can tell it, you can tell everybody's kind of a little bit taken aback, but, you know, they kind of laugh. And But then he just goes all so intense and really does two things that were, I think, a huge contribution to, you know, the pro-life argument. The first is he basically just destroys the idea that it's not a baby. And he actually says, he's like, let's not twist things around. It's a baby. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but then where the kind of clapping and cheering basically kind of trickles to a stop is he's he he basically goes after vi- the viability thing without saying it and I actually say in my in my article that it's sort of like his own oral argument in in the court of public opinion um, because he's like I think people should be able to kill babies you know he's like people argue over first tri- you know semester second semester or trimester and he's like Semester. And he's like, we should be able to kill them until they're four years old. And he's like, you should be able to kill them until they get their first report card. And, <laughs> you know, people are laughing, but you can tell people are really uncomfortable because basically what he's doing is, you know, exploding the idea that it matters. You know, that there's some point at which you magically become a person whose life is worth defending, including the moment of birth. He's well, basically, and it's, and it's
0: very powerful that this is coming from a mouthpiece that is not recognizable to pro- Abortion people as someone who could say these things or sh- or ought to say these things, right? And, yeah. and, and he's a black man. Let's 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 put let's put that out there. I mean, I think black people in America understand that the most dangerous place for a, a black person is in the womb of of their mother or father because the the abortion rate is so huge. And I'm a Hispanic. I'm I'm not happy to report that our Hispanic abortion rates are extremely high. And that's very troubling to me because I, I, we come from a, we have a pro-life culture, but as soon as we get here and we're surrounded by Planned Parenthood clinics and, and our children are being taught in school to be sexually active from an early age and that abortion is some liberating procedure for them, you know, we seem to be cozying up to those ideas. It makes me very sad, but wonderful that a black man is standing up for, for black children and white children and Hispanic children and, and their dignity
2: of life. Well, and, you know... (laughs) I'm guessing he still would describe himself as pro-choice. Like, I I don't think he was trying to win any sort of pro-life award. But, you know, I think what makes comedians comedians is they go sometimes to some of the most uncomfortable places. And we live in a society that can't seem to be uncomfortable anymore. Like, there's just no, you know, I I sometimes watch some of these older comedic shows like 30 Rock. And I'm like, how how was this? This would never be made today because, you know, you'd be banned, you'd be shut down, you'd be sent because they go to uncomfortable places and often truth tell. And oh, so I've totally missed the point, though. The point of my article was that he in one point in his segment likens it likens abortion to hiring a hitman he's he jokes about calling calling the doctor and saying is it done like he's hired a hitman and that sort of shocked people and you know twitter exploded because it was basically the same thing that pope francis said in 2019 when he said that abortion is never okay even in the most difficult circumstances he was specifically talking about these difficult medical diagnoses where women are told their baby's incompatible with life and you know, Pope Francis says that there is no no human by nature is incompatible with life. It's just, so we have different mm, how pretty. lifespans. Um, but he said, you know, is hiring a hitman ever a solution to a problem and that shocked people then um so it was almost as if chris rock sort of took that and ran with it but you know and
0: when you describe what he's saying i'm imagining and i don't know if he put it this way because i haven't seen the clip but uh i'm imagining like a man calling the doctor and say well did you do it did you did you eliminate the child we create my this woman and i created because yeah, well, he- because the woman is is uh, abortion is really a way to keep a woman sexually available to every man around her. I mean, if you look at it, if you look at abortion in the big picture, we can talk about abortion in, you know, a one-to-one or an individual basis. And some of these, and it's always a tragic decision. And you know, women feel driven into it by all sorts of terrible pressures. However, in the big cultural picture, abortion is a way to keep women sexually available to as many men as possible, because otherwise we'd have to do it the way we used to do it, which is if a man wanted to sleep with a woman, he had to be willing to raise the babies they would make together right he had to be there for her because the baby was going to come and that baby was going to need shoes and and milk and and a roof over the baby's
2: head and he was going to be responsible for that child is that the way chris yeah. rock presented it in the no he didn't get into that but he i just think did perhaps the best job in under you know in about 3 minutes or less of sort of blowing up how intellectually incoherent our modern day arguments for abortion are, which are, oh, that it should be okay, you know, after the point at which they can live outside the womb. And, you know, he's just like, yeah, four years old, they're still helpless, you know.
0: Um, (laughs) You don't have a teenager yet, Ashley, but I have to warn you.
2: (laughs) That's he talks about that. He talks about (laughs) these teenagers and their bad report cards and they're just watching TV and. (laughs) so you know and when i look at my teenagers i always think oh when you were darling babies and
0: couldn't and could do no wrong
2: <laughs> right. how beautiful you were then how appealing well, i i've put this quote in my article that was just such a great quote that i found where it's by this short story author and he basically says that humor happens when the truth is delivered more quickly and more directly than what we're used to and nice. that's i think what chris rock did in that segment was deliver the truth about abortion, whether he even believes it himself or not, in such an uncomfortably direct way that it's still making the rounds on Twitter?
0: Well, we've had some uncomfortable truths delivered to us today. Today happens to be the day we're recording this interview is International Women's Day. So we've had some hard truths delivered to us, not in a humorous way, because on International Women's Day, we've seen... Someone as as important and as significant and and as a a huge example as President Biden giving um, a Woman of Courage Award to a man who dresses like a woman, you know, making a big fuss over her alongside some real women, Uh, 11 of them, are, I think 11 real women and and one man. How sad on International Women's Day, because and I'll tell you why I think it's it's I think it's very sad for two reasons. Number one, the, the biggest reason is that women all over the world suffer tremendously in ways that we here in the West in our comfortable air-conditioned homes can't imagine, right? They're, they're the ones who are trying to, to find a water in, uh, in places where it doesn't exist or they getting walking many miles you know, through, in, through dangerous places to find health care for their children. The women, I'm thinking of the women of South Sudan or the women of China trying to keep their children safe from, from an oppressive state. Women in jails in Cuba for expressing for, for sending a, a uh, for sending a text to a friend and saying let's go pro- you know let's go do a, take part in a peaceful demonstration to ask for some some minor liberties from our government and now they're running in a prison. so women all over the world are are terribly terribly oppressed and and, and, and suffering everywhere and that's I think that's what international Women's Day is about about solidarity between women who who have so much as we do and women who, are, are struggling um, in ways that that's hard for us to even wrap our heads around.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's true. And um, I remember I, I wrote a different article for The Wall Street Journal about um, shortly after Leah Thomas, biological male, won the Women woman Athlete of the Year, I forget who gave the award. Then going into the post office and seeing that to commemorate Title IX, the part of the civil rights legislation that really sort of carved out a space for women's sports had a picture of a woman swimmer on there and just this sort of schizophrenic. The the stamp actually showed a woman's, uh, not him, it showed the picture. It's like an outline of a woman's head with swimming goggles on. Uh I think it had that for a few other sports, but it's just we live in a schizophrenic time where um, we're both uh, sort of supposedly supposed to be promoting women in the sisterhood and um, these genuine ways that women can really um, accomplish greatness and achieve greatness while at the same time watching them be torn down ironically by something that feminism has gotten behind. Um and it's just sort of tragic, you know, I was recently in Florida at a fancy hotel and found myself standing next to Serena, the tennis player. And I was so awestruck that I couldn't even speak. I couldn't even <laughs> go up and say hello. And I just think, you know, she's one of the greatest athletes, um, female athletes of all time. And interestingly, she's spoken out about being a, a woman, a woman of color and, you know, her own issues that she dealt with, with coming, you know, having a brush with death, um, postpartum, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but, you know, those are the kinds of stories that we need to be celebrating and uh, exalting this, you know, extraordinary woman who's accomplished so much and became a mom and continued to achieve so much, you know, and, you know, despite dealing with this, you know, difficulty with childbearing, you know, in a world where so many women don't have access to good health care. And instead, I just think it's what a confusing time it is to be a girl right now trying to figure out what does it mean to be a woman in the society that literally where some of the most accomplished women in the world, I'm thinking of the woman who was just put on the Supreme Court, uh, refused to answer the question about what is a woman i don't remember exactly what um justice jackson was asked but i'm pretty sure she said something like i'm not a biologist or something like that you and know I'm, like, I'm still continuously shocked by that statement
0: i mean here is a woman in arguably the top top 10 powerful positions in the world right she's a supreme court justice of the united states And she refuses to say what a woman is because she refuses. It's obviously you don't have to be a biologist to know what a woman is. So it was a a
2: stark refusal, which means... And Nancy Pelosi, arguably the most accomplished woman in the history of Congress, who had the word woman struck from the registrar and the way legislation is written. It's really tragic.
0: It is really tragic. and, And it gives our... I think it hurts it hurts everybody it hurts girls growing up who don't see a path forward for themselves uh that's rational that makes any sense because if if dylan mulvaney who's that man that joe biden celebrated who who's super super feminine and has had all these surgeries and i mean he's just sort of making fun of everything when he's, he's like a comedian but still he's been celebrated as a woman um If if he and and someone like this Argentinian woman who's being celebrated as a woman and what does a woman mean then uh, is a woman a campy guy what's or or a man who can who is a woman a man who takes advantage of women by swimming against them and and in, in in competition um, so it's it's a very weird world for our young people and it's sad on International Women's Day that the West. Instead of standing in solidarity for the oppressed women of the world, instead is layering on a whole other layer of weirdness and and fetish and denial
2: denial about denial of womanhood, denial of womanhood and and, and our our actual achievements and contributions, distinct contributions.
0: Well, I hope that this uh, this radio show is is a good distinction and a good contribution to to womanhood on International Women's Day. And I hope that our listeners enjoyed it. So thank you, Ashley, for joining me today. Thanks, Gracie. Special devotion to a prayer that we think should very much be highlighted during Lent, and it's the Litany of Humility. Now, many of our listeners probably are very well aware of it. May, maybe many of you read it and pray it during Lent especially, but I'd like to read it for all of our listeners before we start talking about it. Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being calumniated, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, O Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That, in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I go unnoticed that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Well, that's the Litany of Humility. What a wonderful uh, dive into the true meaning of the Christian life, isn't it, Dave?
3: Oh, I think it is. uh, it's, it's, It's a beautiful prayer. And I think it is a prayer sometimes for our age, our age of self-esteem and branding and self-love and things that are presented as, as, as positive goods. But uh, we seem to be in the middle of a very unhumble age. And uh, this, is, this has been meaningful for me since I first learned of it. In the mid 2000s, and uh, I know it's it's been meaningful for others. It, in 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 some way, it led me to leave the Oregonian, where I was an opinion writer. Opinion writers are not known terribly for their humility all the time, and uh, coming to embrace this this prayer and. I pray it i for 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 years, I prayed it every every day. And moment by moment, day by day, sometimes hour by hour, it has uh, shaped me and confronted me. It's just been a true true blessing to me,
0: Dave, reading through it, it it uh, it, it appears to me to refute all the. All the reasons that modern culture, our modern society, gives us for happiness to refute them as real sources of happiness. Because if we're being, if we're asking Jesus to grant us the desires of our hearts, and the desire of our heart is to lose that desire for praise, for inclusion, for for being um, admired, and also to to lose that fear of being. As it says, uh, forgotten or ridiculed or wronged or suspected. what a countercultural message this is and and really a roadmap to true
3: happiness. It really is. Your listeners should know, and I only know this secondhand, but I believe the source, who is a friend of uh, Justice Clarence Thomas is. I understand that the justice, has a copy of the litany of humility on his wall in his uh, Supreme Court offices and has p- prayed it regularly and found it a great consolation
0: I imagine if you're someone like uh, justice Thomas you have to be very firm in all these uh, in all these virtues right to, to, oh, to, to yeah. go forward as he does every day against the current
3: especially in, in coming out of the vicious assault on on him. That can harden a man's heart. He's gone to the right place with this litany of humility.
0: And now Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's gospel.
4: This is Father Roger Landry. It's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation God wants to have with us tomorrow on the third Sunday of Lent. The church has its focus on the life-changing conversation Jesus has with a Samaritan woman at a well. Jesus the Good Shepherd promised that he would leave all of his other sheep behind and go in search of whichever sheep of his was lost. This Sunday we see him putting that truth into action in his encounter with the Liz Taylor of her day, who had married five times already and was then living with a sixth man who was not her husband. She was a symbol of what had happened to her Samaritan people, which had intermarried with five succeeding invading nations and had begun to worship their gods but who were now pretending to worship the one true God, but not doing so according to the covenant in Jerusalem, but in their own mountain, Mount Gerizim. The woman's behavior had led to her being ostracized, as was evidenced by her going alone to draw water at the well at high noon, at the height of the piercing sun, when no one else, for obvious reasons, would have been there. Had she gone at the cooler times in the morning or late afternoon, she would have been the butt of criticism from other women for her past and present. Jesus went to a waiter at the most brutal moment of the day. His conversation with her not only did he break two social conventions, that Jews never spoke to Samaritans at all and that men never spoke to unrelated women alone, but he went there mostly to teach her and through her us about two essential realities of the spiritual life, God's grace symbolized by the living water Jesus describes and our desire or thirst for that water. Upon the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. His whole life was an insatiable quest to give us that spring of living water gushing up within us to eternal life. Just like our body can't exist without water, the human body is in fact 72% water, neither can our soul survive without this living water. Jesus through whom whom both our body and soul were created knows both realities and came as the divine physician to give the needed soul-sustaining remedy both to that woman as well as to each of us. What exactly is that living water? It's nothing short of God's divine life, what we call in theology the indwelling of the Blessed Trinity. The reference to water is obviously a link to baptism with the gift of spiritual affiliation that it brings. But the connection doesn't stop there. In one part of the Gospel, Jesus identifies the living water as the presence of the Holy Spirit. In another, he identifies it with his own presence, of the Holy Eucharist. The living water refers to all of these realities. The presence of God in the soul is a result of the sacrament. Jesus wants to give us this living water, divine filiation of the Holy Spirit, of his life giving flesh and blood, of the indwelling of the Blessed Trinity. But his will is not enough. He placed a condition on his own omnipotence. He can lead us to the living water, but won't force us to drink. He wants us freely to ask for it, to desire it. We see this very clearly in his invitation to the woman at the well. If you knew the gift of God, he said, and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. And the woman used her freedom to say, sir, give me this living water so that I may never be thirsty. In the same way as God thirsts for us, we must have a thirst for him. In Psalm 63, this thirst for God is highlighted. We pray, oh God, you are my God for you, I long for you, my soul is thirsty, my body pines for you like a dry, weary land without water. That's what God wants to help us say to him, my soul pines for you, give me that water. He wants us to grasp that just as man doesn't live on bread alone, so we can't live on H2O alone, we need living water too, and must thirst for God more than we do for water. Just as Jesus calls us to labor more for the living bread he gives us than we do for the food that perishes. If we really thirst for God, certain behaviors will follow. We will pray as much and as well as we can. We'll get to know God much better in sacred scripture. We'll make the sacrifice to cross the deserts of human life to adore him and receive him in the Holy Eucharist as often as we can. We will seek to quench his thirst in those who are needy. This is just the start. Many of us, however, will honestly admit that we don't really thirst for God like we ought to, like a man in the desert would thirst for water. Rather than having having hearts out of which flow rivers of living water, our hearts can be stony, stubborn, and lifeless. Like Moses struck the rock in the desert and it gushed forth water, as we'll see in this Sunday's first reading, God wants to strike such hearts so that the rivers of Christ's love can flow but he first needs us to ask for it, to give us willing permission, give him willing permission. Our spiritual life is a little like a family that gets a company to come drill a well in their yard. Often they need to borrow through layers of rock and various geological formations to tap that underground stream or aquifer. But that's only the beginning. They next need to keep that well free of leaves, debris, and various contaminants. They need to pipe in the water into their house. And finally, they have to use the water to give life to their daily activities. It's the same way with our souls. We need to ask God to drill the well, to burrow through the various rocky strata, to go deep, to tap that source of living water in baptism. We need to keep the well clean of toxins, sin, and the various debris that can clutter it up. We have to get that living water pumped into the various rooms of our life and put that water to use. We need to drink that water and have it fill our souls to use it to cleanse ourselves, to bathe in it, and to irrigate the various gardens of activity that characterize our life. Lent is a time for us to examine that water system and help us to take advantage of that gift. It's the season to help us allow the water to flow unimpeded through prayer, through fasting, which helps us to clean the pipes of spiritual rust and through almsgiving by pouring out the living water of Jesus to others. Lent is a time in which, like the Samaritan woman, we leave our precious jug behind and are filled with living water as we begin to allow that gift to overflow and irrigate the world. In the last book of the Bible in which Jesus speaks to us from within the heavenly Jerusalem, he reiterates what he said to the Samaritan woman. He stated, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. He will give it to us if only we thirst for it. He tells us in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for holiness. To thirst for sanctity is to thirst for God. Jesus promised that those who so thirst shall be satisfied. And he's faithful to his promises. This Sunday, let us respond to Jesus' invitation and say to him, Lord, give us that life-giving water always. Let's thirst for him. Praise be Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com and you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you
4: more peace and more hope and more joy and you go with our prayers.